Hi Chris, how are you? Good morning, Rod. Yeah, here we are. We're on a Saturday for a change. We're mixing it up this week. We are a bit, you know, I think just, but we've got our traditional fairly rubbish weather here at least. It's, it's windy and rainy and unpleasant. Now I wish I wasn't using my studio display camera and I wish I could turn it around and show you the glorious sunshine that we've got here in the Cotswolds. Really? It's okay, I believe you. It's stunning. It's beaming in through the window. Yeah, it's not like that here. Although, shout out to people in Hawaii. It's obviously an awful lot worse there and I hope everybody's, you know, getting the help that they need and, and the food that they need and, and all their essentials. Yeah, that horrific is the word I'm going to use. I was watching on the news last night. I just can't explain it. It's just unreal. It is a horrible thing. So thoughts to the people of Hawaii. Shall we do our fairly trivial podcast compared to that then? Yes, let's. I wonder if we have anybody in Hawaii that would listen. It would be interesting to know. Um, yeah, so, well. so it's episode 81. It's the 12th of August and it's still 2023. It is for the next few months and we get ever closer to iPhone launch time, don't we? Yeah, you know, it has been very quiet in the summer, hasn't it? And so it will be interesting to see what they've what they've got in store for us in the winter. iPhones, maybe iPads as talk of, like iPad minis, Macs maybe. So it's, yeah, I think we've got some good stuff to come down the pipe. We shall see. We've got a few rumours and things and pieces to go over later in the show anyway. Moving on to follow-up. You were tasked with watching the Excel video, I seem to remember. Yes, yeah, so we briefly discussed the Excel Championships, something I hadn't heard about of, but once you'd mentioned it, it was like, actually, I could totally see how that's a thing. Excel is a skill and an art, I think. And actually, it was quite interesting watching the championships. You know, they, they did proper leading on on, on the on their, I don't know, candidates, people having a go. And some of the stuff they were doing was just amazing, like how they reformatting data. They had bonus questions. They had to get answers out of the spreadsheet. It was just actually quite interesting to see. And like I said, I think Excel is an art. So actually, if you just want something to watch for 50 minutes, we had a link in last week's show notes. I thought it was very good, and I quite enjoyed it. Fair enough. Good. Glad you enjoyed. It's probably uh, general good mo- to have on in the, in the background, actually. You know, okay. Because I, I like media while I'm while I'm working, like if I'm making a PowerPoint or something. Yeah, it's quite a good way of consuming it. Considering work, I work with lots of data. We rarely use Excel. Excel is kind of frowned on as a, as a thing because it's it's very easy to make mistakes. In fact, I think I posted a link to one of the BBC podcasts before now about how easy it is to reference the wrong range and get everything wrong. So we use Python and R and, and statistical analysis languages and packages like SPSS and Stata and things like that. So it's the day job, really. So I don't have an awful lot of fascination from what people can do with Excel. I'm far more interested in what people can do with real code. I know, I get it. I just, I work for a company that relies on Excel heavily. No matter how much we spend on systems, Excel is always, always front and center. So I, don't, I find it interesting because I know I'm a very novice Excel user. So I, I find it quite interesting. Fair enough. General Motors and CarPlay. Yeah, so I popped this in there. We spoke, I think, a few weeks ago about General Motors not doing CarPlay in, in new cars. And there's two links. There's one, there's a new, what do they call it? The Cadillac Escalade coming out, which is also made by GM. And it's not going to have CarPlay, but yet it's like a $130,000 car or something stupid. And then the second thing was GM have admitted there's no technical reason why they're not doing CarPlay. So it just all seems a bit odd. Yeah, they're trying to make a play for an app store in cars, aren't they? They can see what Rivian are doing, they can see what Tesla are doing, and they're hoping they can do the same sort of thing. But you and I have said repeatedly, the Tesla doesn't have it, but I miss it. I bought a screen for the van so so I can have it. I think it should just come part of every car, frankly. They've missed the boat if they think they're going to have an independent app store for what goes on. I think Tesla do harm themselves. And I know, I actually meant to say, when I was in Vancouver, I saw a Lucid Air 
which is the first of a, a very large new brand of electric vehicles. They had a showroom just outside of, next to the, the Apple store, actually, in the central Vancouver. And that is an interesting, very large vehicle. But they've got CarPlay, so it can be done in EVs. You know, Rivian and Tesla are trying to go in their own way. I think GM's missed the boat on this. Yeah, no, I agree. Part of the reason I chose my BMW was, A, I quite like BMW, but B, CarPlay, really good support. No, but they do really good support for CarPlay in that you could have the maps on the center you know, clusters, you would call it. So you got the map between your dials. You can have it on the heads-up display, so it's showing you you went to turn left. They're fully integrated, and that was one reason I liked it because it's it's fantastic. I don't really want a non-CarPlay car. I love it. I just hop in the car, I, and off I go. I barely touch the BMW software stack, sadly, and I've probably paid some money if my car would have been for that software, but it's of no use to me. I just want the CarPlay because everything on my phone is in my car. Done. Yeah. I, I totally get it. And let's face it, Apple do a better job of software than most car makers. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, I think that's fair. I do want to see an update to CarPlay, I must say. it's It, it feels like it needs a bit of a design refresh, but maybe, maybe that will come. Who knows? They did tease that, though. They teased that, I think, WWDC last year, not not this year, where they were saying we're going to do you know in-car stuff with moving dials and all the rest of it if the manufacturer supports it. And very few manufacturers came out to say they would support it. I think Ford may be the only one that's sort of going all in on it, and fair play to Ford. Yeah, and I was gutted I didn't see BMW in that list. But equally, I wonder, is that for CarPlay 2, or are they going to come back and do anything with CarPlay 1? I, I just feel like it, it could just do with, you know, with a bit of Apple glitz sprinkled on the top. Yeah, I don't want to get too deeply into it, but there is a lot of car makers, including Volvo and Polestar and others, and I think Hyundai as well, make use of Android Automotive, which isn't Android Auto. It's Android Automotive, which is a real-time operating system that sits underneath it all and a lot of their entertainment stuff, and you can run CarPlay on top of that as well. So I think that sort of embedding, you're, you're, you're cutting across Google's path as well these days, as well as Automakers, so it's probably quite a complicated thing. Anyway, that could be a good story for another day. We should probably park that there and just move on. Yeah, and we should probably pick up the Porsche one, where you can have an app. If you've got a Porsche, you can have an app on your phone. That's then in CarPlay, and then it allows you to do the aircon in CarPlay. It's, so it's like they've <laughs> they've like inceptioned it. So that might be one to pick up when we have a CarPlay follow-up at some point. Maybe we should do a CarPlay State of the Union once new CarPlay comes out. I think that's reasonable. Let's let the new phones come out of the way, and then we'll have a t- have a talk about that as a, as a main show, as a main show topic one day. I'll let I'll let you make a little note of that in the show notes. We talked last week about Zoom. It looked like things were going very wrong for Zoom with it updated the terms and conditions. And, and any reading, I read the whole statement out of that appalling abuse of the English language, seemed to suggest that they could do what they wanted with any video calls. They've since rode back pretty hard from that, going, no, no, it's not for that at all. So I think they get a vague pass at the moment, but there's just a, a word of warning for companies to be very careful how you change your terms and conditions and how that will be perceived, because they will have lost users as a consequence of this. And they're in a a delicate fight against Microsoft and Teams in this particular space, so they want to be really, really careful. Yeah, agreed. Why do, why do they have to make it so complicated? Why, why can't these things be easy to read? Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for writing these things in normal speak and not lawyer speak. I understand companies do, and a lot of the reason is to obfuscate what they're actually doing you know, from end users, but it's not good enough, and, and we shouldn't really accept it. Agreed. Moving on, I talked about Jellyfin a few weeks ago. This was part of my smart home upgrade internal streaming stuff. I've, I've been a very happy Plex user for years. I paid Plex Pass back in the day. I think I spent 100 quid on it. It gives me unlimited beta. Plex is a great service that you can run on a computer in your house. It gives you 
the ability to manage media. So as I've ripped DVDs and things over the years, I've got quite a large collection of media and TV and home movies and my music and all this kind of stuff. And it sits on my network attached storage device, my Synology, and I pointed various computers over the years as a Plex server at that media storage. The media storage looks after itself and Plex just sits metadata on top of it and allows you to stream it to your smartphone, to your computer, to your Apple TV, to your Roku box, your Amazon box, over the web. It's a really clever piece of software. And it also there's this additional thing called transcoding, where if you do hit it on a compromised device that's not very powerful, for example, the server side of it can spin up and present an appropriately sized piece of media to, to that device. For various reasons, i.e. it becomes quite heavy, the metadata gets quite large, it's reasonably difficult to maintain, you know, to, if you if you spent a long time organizing your covers and putting star ratings on things and all the rest of it, it can become quite unwieldy after a while. So there's a simpler, entirely free open source thing called Jellyfin, does everything that Plex does except the transcoding, but given the power of devices these days, the transcoding is less of an issue. Up to and including, you can download episodes from your home media server onto your phone or your laptop or your iPad to take with you. So it does the basics really well. And the, the, as, a, as a consequence of not needing to do the transcoding, the server side of it can be quite small. So my Jellyfin server, which I'm sort of running at the moment, is literally a 20 gig virtual machine with two cores and four gigs of RAM. It's just to sit there, index is my thing, and that can serve three 4K content streams to Apple TVs around the house at the same time. So it's more than good enough for that. It's very, very easy to get up and running. You install it on a Mac or a Linux box or a virtual, you know, or whatever you've got lying around. Windows will serve it too. Synology NASes up to about a DS420-220 will kind of run it because they can do Docker containers. It's not the best experience because it's not a very fast chip in there at all. But even something like that, your NAS can run a Jellyfin server. So I've had a good experience of using it. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. My Plex box is currently off, just, just to see how this goes. And the one thing I didn't add in all this is it does a really nice job of going off and, and tagging metadata in your content. So if you've got, I don't know, pick a film from a few years ago, Dread, that I ripped off a, a Blu-ray, it will go off, it will find Dread, it knows the year that it's on there based on, on what it will pull all the actors' bios in as little pictures when you go to do it. It will pull the trailer over as you go to do it. You can pick alternative album art. It'll play a little sting of the theme tune as you're sort of browsing across all your movies and things. You really get quite a an Amazon or an Apple TV sort of experience when you're using it. So I'm really impressed with it. It continues to be a, a, a useful weapon in my arsenal for managing my media. And that's just a little update. It's working well. It sounds really good. And I feel like I should be looking into something like this. I was talking the other day, actually, do I need to get a Synology? You and I, I think, spoke about it offline. And... It feels like something I probably need to play in this arena again and have a look at. I do have a Synology that's very old, I'm going to go with. I think it predates my 11-year-old son at this point. So um, I do want to go and have a look in this world, but I've got nothing to, to run it on at the moment. Just a side note for our, all our listeners, there is somebody behind me in, in, in the neighbouring garden digging, grinding a tree stump or something. So apologies if that comes through on any of the audio that goes out on the podcast. Thanks for the warning. I know we had aeroplanes one week, didn't we? Yeah, and that was particularly bad. I will try and go on mute a lot of the time when I'm not talking. Fair enough. So that was Jellyfin. I thought I'd give a very fast update to... I talked last week about home hubs and things like that, and my lights not being responsive, and my garage plipper not being responsive, and all sorts of things. I found if I went into the Apple Home app, and I went into settings, and I clicked on home hubs and devices, I got a list of home hubs and devices that could potentially run my home hub, and it was running on 
what was the left speaker of a HomePod Mini, which is sat over my shoulder here. I switched it off. It went to the right speaker of my HomePod Mini. I switched that off too. It went to, after our discussion last week, I updated one of the Apple TVs to be on iOS Beta 7. It went to that. Everything started working again. That is unacceptably bad that I have to do that to get something, my, get, get, turn my light bulbs on. Sorry. Now, I'm, I'm with you on this. I think it is bad. And like I said, in the end, I ended up putting all of my Apple TVs on the public beta because that's just made my home life so much better. I don't know what they've done to HomeKit, but it is a lot better. I'm even debating putting my wife's iPhone on it because, and I had this problem with our Aero network we have in the house. Occasionally when you move from one AP to another, it doesn't, it kind of forgets there's internet. And for me, I've had no problems with it. I've been on iOS 17 for a while. It's really annoying my wife. And O2 in where we live, which is the network she's on in the UK, is going through a big upgrade at the moment. A lot of networks are doing this. They're getting rid of the Huawei equipment. They're getting rid of the 3G spectrum. And O2's just not really working where we live. So the internet's iffy on in the house where she moves from one AP to another. And obviously she, she doesn't re- really know what, what's happening with all the internet there. And then when she turns off Wi-Fi and goes on to O2, that's also not really working. So I was very close to, yeah, to putting on iOS 17. But do you think I should? I mean, we're on public beta 3, I think now. So it's probably a reasonable time. There's not much happening with it now. It's very stable. Yeah, I, th- I think this beta has been worse slightly on battery for me than the one previous. My phone has gone down a little bit faster than the one, but that's the developer beta. The public beta is probably fine. They fixed all the keyboard glitches, all my apps work. It's it's a non-event for me, actually. In fact, I've kind of forgotten I'm on a beta. Just, other than that battery thing, it's fine. Yeah, and, and the beta updates that are coming out, I've got a note on it later. I'm going to cover it now. It's so uneventful because I think they've they've done the big one on, on beta one and two, and then actually it's just calmed right down. And I think they could launch it anytime they wanted at this point. Yeah, and we said from the outset it wasn't that big a beta anyway. In fact, I've almost forgotten what's in this version of iOS 17 over iOS 16. A slightly improved keyboard. I think if you're on some networks, you get voice transcription of voicemails and things like that, but I've never seen that. I've had the I had voicemail left yesterday. It doesn't work. So, you know, it's it's a non-event. I'm sure we're getting all the latest and greatest under the scenes for APIs and things like that, like live widgets, but we don't see any of that till it goes live anyway. So all good, I think. Yeah, agreed. One last thing I gave my app of the week two weeks ago was a thing called Amethyst. It does tiling windows. I have totally settled into this way of working. It was really weird for me to begin with. I want to move this over a bit or I want to overlap and tile that there. Once you actually get your head around how it works, it's a fantastic thing. I have three screens at work, my laptop and two Dell monitors either side of it. And it just, honestly, it has made me more productive. I can see more what's going on. I'm not worrying about the minutiae of moving my windows around and tweaking this and, and shunting that, all the rest of it. I am absolutely loving living in the tiling world. And I know we were talking just before we started the show that you wish they'd done a bit more of this with the iPad. It would have made your life an awful lot easier. And I endorse this 100%. This is the thing Apple really need to look into. And it's interesting. There's a, a, a Linux videocaster, YouTuber I, I follow, who's often talking and doing comparisons between Mac OS and Linux and Windows and things like that. Unsurprisingly, he's on the Linux side of things. And he's continually knocking Apple for their poor performance in window management and things like that. And he might be right. Yeah, I don't get why this isn't in the iPad. You can only have four windows. Surely it's not that hard. Just on on the little three dot icon, would you like three windows? Do 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 do. Would you like four like this? You know, how many windows are open? Just retile them for me. I I don't get why they didn't do this from day one. Yeah, fair. Should we move on to the news? Yeah, let's do it. 
Okay, so first story from The Verge. There's been an ongoing fight, we reported it on this podcast, between Apple and Epic, who are the makers of Fortnite and Unreal Tournament and games like that. It blew up when Epic released an update to Fortnite where people could buy the in-game currency for Fortnite inside of the inside of their game rather than being in the App Store. They weren't giving Apple their cut. As a consequence, they pulled all their apps off the App Store and then Apple, as a consequence, banned them as developers on the platform entirely. I don't think you can get any Epic properties on, on, on Apple platforms at this point. You can on the PlayStation and Windows and yada, yada, yada. But there's an ongoing court battle. A few, well, about a year ago now, Apple won this court battle except one thing, which Epic appealed on. They said the app payment store rules were unfair. So there was an outstanding appeal against this, and there was a judgment from the Supreme Court rejecting Epic's request to make Apple loosen its App Store rules. So this is kind of an ongoing thing now, isn't it? That I presume there'll be another appeal, but do you get the feeling that this sort of reprieve that Apple has been granted on not having to change the App Store rules is really just waiting for the bigger sort of other shoe to drop, really, for the EU and, and the Supreme Court in America to actually look at anti-competitive practice for Apple, as we were talking about last week? Surely something's got to give here, because... Whilst I love the App Store, it's not bringing all the securities we promised. It is a monopoly. Apple have got enough money. Something's got to change at some point, has it not? I mean, I don't know. But I mean, Apple announced very little this year at WWDC, which we're all expecting something to happen. Maybe they're, they're going to keep going for as long as they can. Well, the machine is still printing money, isn't it? But I mean, it, it, it's interesting if I can bring this to sort of an analog in the motorbike world, because I like the motorbike world. UK manufacturers were the dominant force in motorcycle manufacturing in the 60s and early 70s. And then Japan decided they were going to make high-quality, low-cost, engineered products. And the UK industry had a chance to do something about that. There were engineers presenting new designs for engines and frames and all the rest of it. But because somebody on a board of directors was sitting there going, no, no, we still sell that one in America for lots of money. Why would we bother reinventing this right now? They died to death. And the same happened in the motor industry and all the rest of it. And I slightly worry Apple is not getting in front of this, that the same thing could happen to them where somebody will make them. And when they make them, things will fall apart quite rapidly. So they really should be out in front of this one. And I'm not the first person to say that, but it's interesting. They may not be learning the lessons of history here. No, I think I agree with you on this. I think you are better to get out in front of it rather than be forced to do something in a way that you wouldn't want to do it. Why I think they do need to get out in front of this. I think you're right. Maybe they're being a bit naive. I think so. Anyway, moving on. Let's let's knock Microsoft again for a little bit. So in the last week, Microsoft has been responsible. Well, I mean, I, fundamentally, the system admins are responsible for managing their servers and things like that. But a Microsoft Exchange zero-day hack is likely caused one of the UK's biggest hacks ever. So this is 40 million voters in the UK have had their details leaked due to a zero-day exploit. So you couldn't have patched for a zero-day exploit. That's the point. You know, the, the damage is already done. But if you read this report from Ars Technica on, on the inside of this proxy-not-shell exploit, and how it went on. And we touched on it last week a little bit about how Microsoft were sort of being quite lackadaisical about applying a lot of these security updates. That these vulnerabilities caused the ability to leak this data and ever since then have shown a stunning lack of interest in actually taking any responsibility, A, for putting out patches faster. And you and I both work in, age, in companies where we, put, we patch a lot of Windows computers. You know, it's an ongoing thing. They chunk out a lot of patches all the time. Microsoft have a responsibility as the largest desktop provider in the world and server provider for email in exchange. And I suppose that might be up for grabs with Gmail these days. But, you know, this hack affects 220,000 servers, potentially. You know, just so it's a lot of servers out there and Microsoft need to do better because 40 million voters details 
and then they'll one for it's not linked to in the show notes but the police service of northern ireland which is another appalling hack that happened this week is just not good enough no i'd agree with that it impacts a huge amount of service but equally not every company will patch as quickly as things come out and so it is it is worrying microsoft's response to this and a 40 million you know user data breach is just insane isn't it so very disappointed on this one and it probably pushes more the need for people not to be running their own exchange and actually move move to the cloud and let somebody else worry about it but yeah a zero day exploit is still a zero day exploit if you're running this with azure or something like that instead you're still going to be vulnerable to that so i mean i like this phrase hostile actors first accessed the system in august 2021 which means the attackers were in the network for 14 months that's a long time so you take your 40 million people, you take their leaked emails from Yahoo and, and all the other things that we've had over the years as well, Facebook, blah, 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 and you link it to this. You've got their voter profile, you've got their email addresses, you've got their credit cards. You could duplicate somebody's identities just instantly, couldn't you? Yeah. It's, this, is a, this level of hacking is horrifying. No, I agree. It's not good at all. But even even now they've patched it, that makes me wonder there. Sorry. <laughs> just got attacked by a moth even though they've they've released the patch i do wonder how many people still haven't patched their systems i would like to know that stat people are still running windows xp people are still running windows 2003 <laughs> or server and things like that it's, it's unreal and that's been patched for a long time so yeah i think there's a couple of things here there's one there's microsoft doing the right thing getting the patch out there but then they also need to work with the community a lot more i think to improve the adoption of patching yeah, I, I feel like there's a turning point coming where we were quite happy with Microsoft for a while, but it feels like they're the old bad Microsoft is sort of just under the surface a little bit at this point. And again, another company needs to get out in front of it. They, they don't want to lose their lovely, cheery, cheerier image under Satya Nadella compared to the sort of CEOs they had before. They need to get a move on with this. Definitely agreed. Moving on, TV app, the new iTunes. Oh, yes, TV app, the new iTunes. I put this in there because... Apple used to do a trailers app. It was on the iPhone. It was on the Apple TV. And you could go and watch, you know, trailers that were coming out for new films. And I used to go there quite often just to, you know, I wonder what films are coming out. I haven't been using it for a long time. But they're now putting the trailers piece inside Apple TV, TV app, as it were. And then they've also put the store in the Apple TV app. And I just seem to strike to me that it feels like the TV app's becoming like iTunes used to be. Where you went into iTunes to do everything. And Apple even quipped about it a while ago. Because you went in there to sync your iPod, you went in there to sync contacts, you know, bookmarks and all of that. And obviously you could buy music, you could listen to music, you could buy TV shows, you could play TV shows. And it just felt to me like mate, the TV app's kind of going that way. I mean, it does make sense for trailers to be there. Apple haven't done anything with this trailers app for a long time. I don't really understand why we've still got the iTunes store as an app as well. And they, you can get TV and media in there, but you can also get it in the Apple TV app. And it's like, well... Sure, you need to do this in one place and take it out of the iTunes store, which I think you sent me a link in the week. hasn't been updated in four years. It runs okay on like the iPad, but it doesn't support all the modern windowings that well. But I don't get why they, they've got it in two places. The only thing I have noticed when I use the TV app, though, is you can't add anything to a gift list, which I usually use just to keep a list of films I want to buy, but I'm waiting for them to hit a price that I'm comfortable with. And equally, some box sets don't seem to appear in the TV app i was looking for i think it was coupling the other week a tv show in the uk but the box that didn't appear but you could buy the individual seasons and it, there's just a few things it doesn't seem it seems a bit half-baked hasn't brought over all the functionality but that, that was my only note on that one 
No, it's it's interesting, and I saw a little bit in this as well. I, I'd forgotten there was even an iTunes trailer that, frankly. You know, I didn't remember there was a thing. And the reason I sent you that link, which hasn't been updated in four years, is somebody on Mastodon posted about the Venture Brothers. It was available for for $50, and I thought, I don't know what that is, so I just clicked the link, and I don't have the iTunes app. The, the store app installed anymore was the thing. I've obviously deleted it at some point, and don't miss it in the slightest. So it seems that this is just another thing that needs to die. It, it worries me slightly that everything starts ending up in the TV app. Will music end up in the TV app? And then we'll just have swapped the iTunes app for, for TV, basically, at that point. Like you say, it becomes the everything app again. Yeah, it becomes the everything app, which well, I don't want to go there because I think Twitter is trying to do that. But the, you're right, I think the iTunes app does need to go, but they, or they need to break it out and put the music store somewhere. And But they, if they're not going to get rid of it, they should be updating it, whereas they seem to hang on to these things for too long and and don't maintain them, and, and they look old, and, and they do look quite dated. Yeah, they do. Yeah, okay. Well, that's worth keeping an eye on. Another another app put to bit put. You know, to, do you remember when Steve Jobs put OS nine in a coffin on the stage? I've seen it since. I wasn't present for it. I don't, I don't know. I was following Apple so much at that time, but yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah, I, I remember that as 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 overblown media initiatives go. But maybe they need a bunch of little coffins or for uh, for all these other little apps that need to go. Like, and I've forgotten the name of it again. Is it Freeform? Is that the name of the app they released that we tried once? Another app. I don't see the point of. I don't see. Well, I've I've got a news article coming up on that. Maybe we we'll cover that now. So I have put in the show notes, Good Notes, which is a similar app to Freeform. They've just released a new version. It looks fantastic. We talked a while on this show about note-taking and GoodNotes was the only app that ever really stuck with me. I think it's really well done. This new version's been released. It's like Freeform. You can draw on it in a in a pen. You can do text box. You've got a nice big canvas. You can have virtual notebooks. They've just released a new update. It looks great. They said it's all new, but it looks surprisingly the same as what they had before. I was expecting a bit, bit more of a lick of paint, but that is an app I would recommend people check out. I think it's fantastic and really well done, and it's great to support a, another developer. I have used it in the past when I got my iPad Pro to begin with. I I used to use GoodNotes quite a bit. Since I don't even know where a pencil is these days for my iPad Pro because I'm a bad at drawing and b can't read my own handwriting. It's 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 kind of a, a perfect storm of things that aren't going to work for me. I need to type into an app, which is why Notion has become really quite sticky for me. In fact, I like Notion so much I bought it for the team at work, and now we're all using Notion to collaborate on things and move forward with it. And I notice our developers are too. So the, the, there's something about writing a markdown, integration with GitHub, you know, all the bits and pieces that you can link into it, linking backlinks and all that kind of stuff I really need as part of my note-taking app, which as this journey has gone on, on my side through Obsidian, you know, and, and now into Notion. It, 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 this is what makes it sticky for me is the ability to sort of deeply link to one thing, you know, down the rabbit hole and find your way back to the top again with those breadcrumbs. I think we use, we've talked about this before, we use note-taking in a different way. So I'm glad that this kind of app is still out there that does surface that kind of need as well for, you know, you want to jot your notes down and you've talked about your actual notebook a few times as well. This 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 is closer to what you you need from an app that I do, but it's good we've got that sort of split and things. And it's a better thought out app than, than, than the Apple variant of it because it's one thing done really well rather than just, a, oh, it's good enough, which is often the impression I get from a lot of the internal Apple apps these days. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. Yeah, good notes. Trial out if you want to take notes. That's, that's what I would recommend. It's fantastic. Fair enough. New, the tvOS 17 beta has confirmed we're getting some new iPhones, which is probably one of the worst kept secrets in the world. Yeah, agreed. But it's in, I, interesting. It's it's announced the new chips in essence. So you're going to get an, I, an A17 chip in the iPhone 15 Pros and the 
regular iPhone 15s, which is getting a 16 normal chip, which is the chip I've got in my iPhone 14. There's too many numbers in, in, in all of these things. So the iPhone 15 is going to get last year's Pro chip and the Pro phones coming out this year will get the new hot chip, whatever that may be. That was it. So quite minor, but it's no surprise for anybody. Yeah, I'm glad that it's coming. This kind of thing normally happens. It used to be Steve Trout and Smith would find all these sort of hidden bits within the code to find things, but I'm glad other people can can do it as well now. We're getting new iPhones. It's, it's iPhone season. We'll get the updates. I did see a little rumor today that said this generation of iPhones we shouldn't all jump on and get. Yes, there'll be USB-C. Yes, there'll be Dynamic Island. I meant to come back to you and say, is Dynamic Island actually a useful thing or is it just a gimmick? No, it is useful. I really, I generally like it. I think they've done a really nice job with it. I think a lot of what they've done with it, they could have probably done with the, what did we call it? What's what's it called? On? Notch. Huh? Notch. The notch. Thank you. I'd forgotten the name. I'm glad they've given it a name that isn't Notch. I think it is really good. I still love all the little animations you get with it. I think, I think they've done a great implementation. Playback controls, being able to get to them quite quickly is nice. I think it'd be great when it gets to everybody and maybe we, we see more with it then. So no, I would 100% recommend it. I think it's fantastic. I think people like yourself upgrading this year makes sense if you want to go and spend a thousand-ish pounds because you will get always on screen, you'll get the dynamic island and obviously you're going to get all the new hotness and the two years worth of camera upgrades. For me, I don't know what I'm going to do as I think I said last week, but we, we'll wait. I'll wait and see when it comes out. But I'm not really planning to buy one, but we'll see how it goes. Fair enough, yeah. The rumoured Ultra, iPhone Ultra, has been pushed to next year as part of this other thing, so we shall see. Anyway, not in the show notes because it's it's very sketchy rumours, but there you go. We quite like doing these stories every so often about how some feature of an iPhone has, or a watch, or has saved somebody's life, and not as much as Apple love doing it, because if you ever watch any of their conferences, they quite often actually get the actors who were involved. If you remember the plane crash one, was particularly harrowing to watch from, from a few years ago. But a family in Maui has been rescued thanks to the iPhone satellite feature, which is just a fantastic use of the technology, really, isn't it? Yeah, this is the payoff. The, the technology is working. I think we are waiting for Apple to tell us how much that satellite technology is going to cost us. They said it would be free for a couple of years. Is that coming up this year? I guess so. I suspect what we're going to see, though, is an expansion of this technology. We'll be able to SMS people you know, or, or iMessage people via the satellite technology for a subscription fee through your Apple One account would be my suspicion. And I've seen this now. In the Canadian wilderness, my, my daughter's iPhone 14 changed to a little SOS logo in the, t- in the corner, so she could have done it if needed. So yeah, it's a thing that absolutely works even on the base model of the phone. But I think there's more to come on this. I don't think it's just going to stay about SOS. Agreed. And you do get the SOS message little icon when you're inside a building and there's no signal for example so it's as soon as you get no signal you get that icon i don't yeah so maybe we're not going to get it this year then if it's on the 14 maybe we've got to wait another year to see see what they're going to do with it but if it's revenue generating i'm sure they're going to want to get it out there anyway i think it's a good use of technology in the same way that the automated car crash stuff was also came in in the iphone 14 and the and the current and, and the apple watch as well actually so you know that that technology they do push out to the other devices in fact it's quite interesting i saw a thing by craig hockenberry this morning talking about how if you want to see the next generation of technology in the iphone you need to watch the apple watch it's where the screen technology comes in first it's where the thinness happens first it's where possibly this rumored button that we're getting a button instead of the mute switch on the next phone comes along as well so i think that's quite an interesting perspective for all we knock the apple watch for being a bit slow actually there's a lot of technologies battery efficiency yada 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 that ends up in the in the watch that ultimately ends up in the phone it's the canary in the coal mine it is 
It is. Samsung Flip 5 advert. Why have we put this in the show notes? I put this in the show notes. I went to see my this week, which we're going to talk about. I thought it was a really good advert. Fair play to Samsung. I thought it was great. The actual Flip 5 looks quite an interesting phone. I do wonder whether Apple are going to do something in this arena because fair play to Samsung. They, they keep pushing on it. I thought it was a good phone. Good phone. Good advert. And I we don't speak much about Samsung. I don't know a huge amount about using Android. I don't think I could at this point because I'm so far in the Apple ecosystem. But I just thought it was a very good advert and the phone looks amazing. Yeah, so I watched Marcus Brownlee's re- review of this device and he had been saying how he didn't really get it. Obviously, it's better than what came before. But was it that much better? And then he'd used it for a month and was really blown away by how impressed he was with the utility of the screen on the outside, how good the battery life was for the device. The crease, which is still there when you unfold the phone, is obviously still a thing you notice when it's off axis. But actually, like the notch, you come to accept really, really quickly when you're using the phone. And he'd actually started using, much to his surprise, the outside screen far more than they thought you would have, just as a means of triaging emails, texts that are coming in, any of that kind of stuff. It actually worked really, really well. And then when you're using your phone, you remove the barrier and you open it up and you get... And that sort of split, I'm not on my phone all the time because I'm just dealing with a couple of things on the outside of it. And you put it away again rather than write... It's time to fire up, you know, Spotify and do something on the inside, or actually research a thing with a web browser. It was quite a division, so I think it's to be lauded that Samsung are doing this kind of thing and sort of really pushing it forward. And they may be showing Apple where to go with this. My worry would be again if this is a market segment that continues to grow, and I think we've talked about it before. There is definitely a segment for this, particularly with you know people who want a smaller phone. You want it to go in a handbag. You don't want the bulk of it, and you know, all right, it's a little bit wider. But I think people are used to carrying wider things in, in handbags and pockets and things anyway. So this I find more interesting actually than the bigger. I know you like the bigger idea concept of folding out to more tablet size, but I quite like this. You know, this form factor is a thing, and I, do, I would quite like Apple to do something in this area. I would too. I think the reason I like the the bigger phone is because I use a tablet to do my day job. And I think that's why I like the idea of the fold because it folds out and it's a tablet and I could do a lot of my day job on that device. So I think that's why I'm walking on that one. Whereas I think if I didn't use a tablet for my day job, I'd probably be more interested in the flip. But I'd like to see Apple do something in this space. I think it is getting legs and it's great Samsung innovating. Yeah, well done, Samsung. Moving on. We can be nice about other companies. We're not always just knocking Microsoft Meta and others. We can be nice. I think we could be nice and harsh to all companies equally. Yeah, I think so. I think we're hard, hard but fair. Hard but fair. We're not hypercritical. But that's trademark John Syracuse. Uh, Next up, time. Amazon. Yep. Amazon are asking people to get back in the office. I think it's three days a week. And it, this seems to be a growing trend, I think. It feels we've done the post-pandemic piece. We're back to some form of normality. And offices want people back in the office. Offices, people, companies want people back in the office. Sorry, I get my words out. And me as an employee that does half and half, I quite enjoy that. I don't want that to change. I don't want to be back in the office four days a week. I don't want to be in the office zero days a week. I think that's too far one way, but I like half and half. So I'm curious to see where this is going to go. Are we going to, you know, be going into this time next year? And actually, it's just now the norm. We're in the office the majority of the time and working from home goes back to being a privilege, which I think would be a backwards step. I agree. I think Zoom sort of st- started this last week or started the discussion last week, didn't they? When we said they were the remote working company was forcing forcing its workers to come back into the office. Amazon, obviously, a big e e company as well, that have the potential to leave their workers at home, except the ones that are doing picking in in their you know distribution centers. Obviously, I did five days in the office this week, as much out of curiosity to see what it was like, to see what the throughput and the footfall was like in my office. It's a university, you have a variety of teams, not everybody and everybody's team would come in at the same time, but I wondered, because I was doing my three days a week, 
did it change in the days I wasn't there? No, it was just as quiet the, the other couple of days, frankly. You know, it was the, you'd get a flurry of people come in the first couple of days of the week, and then it would tail off as, as it went off. In fact, yesterday, I think there were four people on my floor. So, you know, it, it's, it, it is interesting to see this sort of push by by leaders and, or, or at least bosses in, in large companies to force people to come back to the office. You can understand why buildings are expensive. You've got to heat them, you've got to light them, you've got to maintain them. You know, the roofs need patching, all that kind of stuff you've got to do. Pipes need emptying, all that stuff. So you can understand why they want people in them to return on their investment. It's not so much, I don't think, about getting a corporate culture for a lot of people. I know you've said your sort of corporate and social responsibility for your employees and making sure that there is part of it. But frankly, they've invested a lot of money. They think that the, the, the return on that investment is getting people being productive and being in the office together. And to a certain extent, they're right, which is why the hybrid model works really well. You can have a bit of care for your employees, but at the same time, allowing them to be home to get the Amazon thing or to do their childcare is actually quite a thoughtful, useful thing to do that will make your employees value you more. And that's where I land to. The hybrid model is the right one. Yeah, agreed. And I think it's, as I say, for most things, it's a balance. There is the right balance. And I think the right balance is generally hybrid. Look, if somebody wants to be in the office five days a week for them personally, that's fine. If, if somebody wants to be at home five days a week, personally, I think that's a step too far because I do think social interaction is important. But I don't think it needs to be five days a week for everybody. Fair. We've got some new Apple beaters. We've got some new Apple beaters. And um, we've, we've really talked about this. It's just more including this link. I think this link is fantastic because it just the updates when all the new Apple beaters come out you can see what's being released and there's release notes there if you're interested so if you're thinking about getting on the developer beaters this is the the link to when they get updated and it has, has release notes you can't really download from anymore you do all that in device now when you go into settings software update and you pick, pick which beta you want which I think is a much better way of doing it I do wonder whether Apple have made it too accessible for people to install the developer beta but on the whole I think they've done a great release this year they're really on it yeah, the sort of proviso to that is Xcode. Xcode, you still need to download the massive file for and then wait for ages for it to unzip and install to your computer. That has got no better, but you're right. It, it It's surprising. The Sorry, you were going to say something. I was going to say something. I think it has got better because now you download a three gigabyte file and then when you launch it, you then pick which simulators you want. So I think it has got a little better in that it hasn't got everything in there. So if you're not a Mac developer, you don't need to download all, all, all the Mac simulator stuff and, and development piece. You can then optionally add that later. So I think they have made it better in that the initial download is a third the size and then you can pick which platforms you're going to develop for, which I think is good. Mm, yeah, fair, true. But also, Apple Silicon's a damn sight faster than Intel was, so while you're waiting for it to unzip isn't as bad either. So there is gains on both sides of that. It'd probably just slow if it was doing it on an Intel Mac. Yeah, fair point. Anything else to talk about here? No, I don't think so. I think that's that's it for news. Now, normally we'd move on to media, but we're actually going to move media to the main show because we've got a few things to talk about. So we'll skip over media and we'll go straight to games. Refurbished Steam Decks. Yeah, so this is your fault. You sent me a link to Steam. They now do a refurbished Steam Deck. The prices are roughly the same as what Steam were doing when they had a sale, but as we commented on the show, we can actually order in the sale because they, they ran out of stock quite quickly. I have gone and ordered... A Steam Deck for myself. I've gone for the the largest one because I could get it for the price of the middle one, and I think the middle one is probably the right one that people should buy. But I thought, oh, you've you've got the middle one, so I thought I would 
go I thought no I'm happy to get that one so I will do that and I've ordered it and it's coming on Monday which is really annoying because I'm going on holiday tomorrow so it is what it is they did say one to two week delivery and it's coming in about four days so I can't really complain but now I've ordered one and I will be feeding back on it I'm playing a few more games slightly I've I've been obviously playing commandos a lot but I'm curious to play, play on the steam deck yeah so I'm looking forward to that I'm really interested to get your take on it, and I, one of the reasons we're doing this on a Saturday is that Chris is about to go off on assignment, so uh, you know he, he might not get an awful lot of time to have played with the Steam Deck by the time we come back next week, and there'll be a few stories and things. So, but it could be a good thing for you to follow up on has been your sort of first run experience, based on you haven't been, you know, you're not as familiar with that, but that that side of gaming, you're more of a Switch person, so it'll be quite. You know, really interesting to compare and contrast how you find the Switch compared to the Steam Deck and, and your experiences of using it, and what games you're playing. You know, what's in your library after like a week of of having it? Is it is it old retro stuff like Commandos, or are you just sitting playing, you know, whatever the Steam equivalent of threes is? I've I've kicked my threes habit since I've removed it from my phone, just to clarify. But now I'm interested because I haven't really bought anything on Steam in about seven, eight years. So I've got quite a dormant Steam account, which caused me issues when trying to order the Steam Deck. I had to create a new account to order it because it just wouldn't let me add a payment card to my old account. But yet I added the same payment card to my new account and it all went through. So I think... my first run experience might be interesting so I will deal with that nearer the time but no I'm, I'm super looking forward to it I think it's going to be great and I I do play a few games in the house in the evening you know so it'd be nice to do it and that's a great device for me to do that so now I'm, I'm yeah, looking forward to it let's have a new toy and you're going to have a Linux computer I'm going to have a Linux computer which I'm quite happy about I'm, I'm probably more happy to have a Linux computer than a Microsoft device I think at this point so <laughs> it's probably been patched let's face it there is that but <laughs> in, in similar though so obviously I quite like playing some of the retro games I've actually put a Quake 2 remaster link in which I came across last night because I've played Quake 1 quite a bit on my Switch it's fantastic on the Switch there's a little run around and, and a bit of nostalgia and they've done a fantastic job of porting it but I was looking at the Quake 2 remaster video and there's a link in the show notes it's actually linked to Apple News I was a little disappointed with the graphics on it. I thought it looked way better than it did. Because I think for me, Quake 2 was probably the last one I played. Because I think Quake 3 was more about death matches and really multiplayer. And obviously that was quite an early time for for the internet and playing over the internet for games. So I was a little disappointed with Quake 2, but it's only a tenner. So I may well pick it up and try it out. But now I've got the quandary of, do I get up my Switch? Do I get up my PlayStation? For me, these are games more I play on my Switch, I think. Or, or maybe even my Steam Deck now, because it's probably not a game I'll sit and play on the on the big PlayStation screen. I just don't think some of the, the retro games really work on a 65-inch TV. I think they actually are more suited to the low-res Switch screen. No, I'm with you on that. And I, I suspect what might happen, similar to, to me, is that because you have a large library of Steam games, that tends to be the place you go to to look for these kinds of things. And then they do the sale. And the sale, you know, ID quite often of like a Doom week once a year where they, where they drop the prices of all their games. They're not even ID anymore. They're Bethesda, aren't they? Where they release all the things based on sort of Doom and Quake engines and all the rest of it for super low prices. So you'll quite often see Quake for like a quid or something like that on the sale. And you won't get that on the Switch, which is often what pushes me back towards the Steam Deck as much as anything because you're getting very good deals on old games for not a lot of money and it does lead to the problem where your steam library becomes this vast thing with hundreds of games in it that you've possibly never played because you get them when they're on sale but it's not a bad thing that you've now got a device you can just pick them up and have a go yeah and to be fair to nintendo the sales have got a lot better and you can usually pick these things up for like a fiver and things when they're on sale so, so it is a lot better and i've bought i've got quite a lot of games on my switch i must confess yeah, yeah but- 
Fair enough. I haven't. It's over there gathering dust. I did talk about the Switch the other day. Does that count? I remember that the when you were talking about Mario Kart and the DLC for that. Have they finally released all the DLC for that? Is that now at this point worth buying and going back to and getting all the tracks? Annoyingly, I haven't gone back into it. Some of the new tracks are good. The newer tracks are, for me, don't feel as polished as the original ones that came with, with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I'm enjoying the Switch. I do like that form factor. What I want to know, I guess, with the Steam Deck is can I plug it into my Apple Studio display, use a mouse and keyboard on it, and play Commandos through it, or Command & Conquer, or whatever. So, so there's going to be some experimentation to come, I think. It's not a showstopper. So, no, it's not a showstopper. And to a certain extent, yes, you can. If you plug a USB-C cable into the top of it, it will mirror what's on your screen. And if you press and hold the power button, I'll say, do you want to go into Linux mode? And then you can actually run it as a desktop, if you want. And you, it it will extend your desktop as well. It won't mirror it. You'll get a tiny little desktop on the Steam and a big desktop that you can plug a mouse and a keyboard into and use. So yes, you can. And you can pair a Bluetooth controller to it as well and play it on a big TV too. So you can actually treat it as a console, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to some of that, I think. I'm, I'm, I think I'm ready for some new tech because I haven't had any new tech this year. Yeah, fair enough. I will give a very quick update on Xbox. I have two Xboxes. In fact, I bought one off you. One of the things around that was Xbox Games Pass. As might have been evident talking on here, I've become a bit discontent with Xbox Games Pass because I don't think it's very good for the games industry. I think Microsoft are doing... It's a great... It's a great thing to buy if you don't have a big games library or you haven't played a lot of games recently or you're just getting started. It doesn't encourage you to purchase software. It encourages you to treat software as a bit disposable. You know, I downloaded, I think it was called Atomic Heart, big AAA title, amazing production values, etc., etc. I played it for 15 minutes. I got a bit bored. I deleted it. And if I'd bought that game, I'd have invested a lot more time in it and I'd probably have got a little more pleasure out of it. So I think there's a problem in, inherent in, in Games Pass and all the rest of it. And we see it a little bit on the PlayStation as well, which is a similar thing. They release a monthly game every month and we download it and we go, yeah, this is a bit crap and you, you just delete it again instead of sort of being really invested. But because the PlayStation is pretty much my primary console, I will go and I'll spend 50 quid on a Spider-Man game or I will go and spend, you know, on Gran Turismo being a great example that we've talked about repeatedly here because that's where you want to expend your energies and then you get the value out of it. I completed it. I didn't go back that often, but you, I know, keep coming back to it, probably less so recently. But you know what? It's been there. You invested time and money into that. And I think the Games Pass thing is a problem. So long story short, I've cancelled my Xbox Games Pass and I'm probably not going to use the Xboxes very much anymore. Wow. It's a tricky one, isn't it? I can see some benefit in the Games Pass for younger kids that do want to dip in and out of games. We buy very few on our PlayStation. My son still plays Fortnite a lot. I probably dip in and out of the driving games the most. So I'm surprised you've cancelled it, but I understand why. And I kind of agree with you. I don't think it is healthy longer term because you don't end up appreciating the games. Yep. So just that. I'll keep the consoles and I can also pick it up again. It's 10 or a month. It's not the end of the world. So if something comes along that I really want to get my head around or play, but the, the big, what I, what I play on it, this will surprise no one, Slay the Spire, mostly. So, you know, but I've also got that on my iPad. I've got it on the Switch. I've got it on my Steam Deck. I've got it, you know, I can play Slay the Spire. So paying 10 or a month to play Slay the Spire is excessive. Yeah, and I think that's why I've got affinity for some of the classic sort of games that I've been playing because I played them to death 20 odd years ago and I'm enjoying going back and reliving them because I really enjoyed them. I played every bit of them. I didn't always complete them, but I'm enjoying that going back and, and trying again. Certainly if you enjoyed it with Commandos, I, I think I've got two more levels to go and I've completed the whole game. So it's it's really struck a chord with me. I can't explain it. So I think I mentioned it on this show before. Get Desperados 3 for your, either your Switch or your, or your Mac. It's well worth a go. It's very in the Commandos mold. I think you'll enjoy it very much. 
Right, okay. Remind me of that when I get my Steam Deck. Can I get on my Steam Deck? Yes, you can. Oh, there you go. Maybe, maybe that's try something new on the, on the Steam Deck. Good. Main show? Main show, let's do it. So we've moved media into the main show because we, we wanted to talk about a film. We've both actually, I finally gone and seen something at the cinema. Well, let's start with that then, and then we'll just do, we'll do a bit of speculation about some other things. So we'll do the usual media e bit, and then we'll talk about something else. So tell us what you saw. So I went and saw Oppenheimer at the cinema. Wasn't the best cinema ever because sadly here in the UK, Empire is closed recently, the one by me, which was at a fantastic IMAX screen. So I was a little annoyed to go to a, what I'd call a second-rate cinema. And biggest frustration with that is, A, lots of the toilets didn't seem to be working, but B, when you're sat in the cinema... All you could hear was the sound coming through from next door, which is the worst when there's a really quiet bit in your film and you can hear like music or a dance track coming through from the screen next door. So that was a marginally frustrating. But on the whole, thoroughly enjoyed going to the cinema. I love the cinema, a bit of popcorn and I'm away. So I watched Oppenheimer. It's three hours long. It's incredibly long film, but fantastic went went with a few friends it's weird going to the cinema with friends isn't it because you, you, you meet up to go to the cinema and then sit in a room for three hours and don't talk to each other and then have a brief chat afterwards and go home but what a fantastic film i really like christopher Nolan films i like all of them i don't think for me i don't think he's done a bad one i haven't gone back and watched the knowing yet i think that was his or knowing i think that was his first film that he did which recently came out on iTunes, which is probably why you don't know about it. I, I don't know if it's on other, other stores, but it came out here in the UK on iTunes. I haven't bought it yet, but probably will. But no, Oppenheimer, yeah, I was a bit put off by the duration, I must confess, but actually glad I put that to the back of my mind and went to see it. And obviously you watched it in Canada, which we briefly touched on last week with your entire family. Well, the entire family that went to Canada with you. The entire family that went to Canada with me. And yeah, I think I had a better experience at the cinema. I touched on it last week. It was a little independent cinema in Banff. No adverts before we got there. Good sound, good popcorn. It was uh, it was a really good experience and a nice, comfortable seat. So I agree with you. The environment's very important. And naming no names, a couple of our bigger cinema chains here in the UK do give you that experience. The multiplex where there are very thin walls between you and them. I've, like, I remember going to see Top Gun Maverick. It's clearly no projectionist anymore. You know, they set it going off the hard drive at a timed point and it just comes on the screen. And if the hard drive that's projecting the thing goes wrong, you're kind of knackered. It'll sit there paused for like 20 minutes, 40 minutes before they'll come and sort it out sometimes. So I think there's a, a huge demand. It's important that we maintain some of these smaller independent cinemas the way they care about this kind of stuff. It's not hard as it play the film in a way that people can appreciate. And Nolan's films definitely benefit from this. Going see them in the cinema, the bigger ones ever since... I was going to say Batman, but I think some of the things that came before that, Batman Begins, he's he's definitely worth a watch. He's an interesting filmmaker, and Oppenheimer is up there for me as well. It's, I wouldn't call it a return to form, because there was nothing wrong with Tenet once I got my head around it. But yeah, he, he's a great film worker, filmmaker, worth watching on as big a screen in as good a sound environment as you can. Yeah, in hindsight, we should have gone to a cinema, just a newer version of Cineworld, rather than an old Cineworld, because also... I did turn around to my friend part way through and go, are they going to turn the lights off? Because there was just a really bright light above my head. And I was like, I want a dark cinema. It was, it was very strange. What gets me, though, with Christopher Nolan, though, is this is a film with no CGI based upon real life, whereas Tenant was very much a CGI film based upon a very strange concept. But yet he can turn his hand to, to do both equally well, I think. He's very, very skilled, and I really enjoyed all his films. So anyway, I'm sat in the cinema watching... And I was like, when are they going to flash up the title of the film? 
because it doesn't happen. And we may have some spoilers here, I guess. And it comes up at the end. It's the first thing Mm. you see at the end, which I thought was a super interesting way of doing it. Because for the first 10 minutes, I was like, oh, is he going to do an intro? And then we're going to have the title. It just seemed odd to me that 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 didn't come up. But I really enjoyed it. I liked how it jumped around a lot. And it all came together towards the end. Because it's a story I didn't know a huge amount about. Obviously, we've all heard about the A-bomb. We know what happened. It's... Yeah, not a nice thing to end end up happening in the war, but it was interesting how it all played out and they kept the suspense going and all the details of it. I think it could have been a bit shorter, I, I will confess. I think they could have probably had a slightly better cut of it just to, I don't know, just to tighten it all up, nip and tuck maybe, because for me, I think they could have got that to two and a half hours, say, rather than the full three hours. And I think it would have still been just as good. Yeah, I, I didn't mind it. I quite enjoyed he took his time to tell the story, which is unusual for me. I'm normally more in your camp. Like, you know, it could be a bit tighter, it could be a bit quicker, but it was he's a very interesting character. And he intera- And I, I think I said in my review last week, I felt the women were a little badly served, frankly, in, in, in the film. You know, they again, without spoilers, I mean, it's a, he's a historical character. Both his mistress and his wife, well, one of his mistresses and his wife, wonderful played by Florence, Florence Pugh and, and Emily Blunt. You know, they both get a couple of moments where they get to shine, but I really think they could have maybe made a little bit more of that in amongst everything else, you know. But broadly, I, I love the film. It's a 9 out of 10 film for me, as I think I said last week, although Barbie was 8 out of 10. So, but that's being really critical. It's not like I, I remember watching Tenet through the first time and going, what? <laughs> you know, don't get it, don't like it. A couple of amazing action series sequences and I'm out. And then it had to be explained to me why it was so clever. And once I got it, I'm like, this is absolute genius. It's one of the greatest things I've ever watched. But you shouldn't really need that. And I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the brightest guy in the world. But, and I should, but at the same time, I don't need always everything explained to me in a lot of detail. And it, it's not often a film makes you feel thick. And Tenet did. Oppenheimer didn't. It brought me along. I liked the characters. It was a compelling story. And the fact that it's true, you know, as much as that as as, as an interpretation of it can be, probably helps with that. No, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. And I did like the build-up to building up the character so you understood Oppenheimer's background, how how he'd, you know, travelled around Europe and going to various universities and learning and then going back to America. And it really set the, the, the scene before the war. I think for me, I probably didn't expect so much post the war. I mean, we all know they, they drop a bomb in it. They show you the test in, in detail, which was fantastic how it was done. The silence, the lighting, the noise. It was so well done overall. And then I think the bit post that went on a lot. Because I think most people thought, that's it, now he's done what he set out to do. But obviously there was then the whole story behind. And I think for me, that's where some of it could have just been tightened up a little bit. But it was great to see the character building. Because you don't get that a lot in films. They build a character in five minutes and then chuck some CGI and some action in. So it was nice to see something completely different. And I think we needed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to draw a parallel between it and The Right Stuff. Have you seen The Right Stuff? I've never seen The Right Stuff. I have bought that, actually, and I, it's on the list, but I haven't got to it. So, so The Right Stuff is another epic-scale film <clears throat> talking about, you know, putting man in space, the American side of putting a man in space particularly. And it does touch on the Russian side of it as well. But amazing film, incredible cast. When you go back and you see all the people that are in that film, people like Ed Harris, and, well, there's, there's, there's almost too many to count, actually, when you go and look at the cast of that film beautifully directed it's fantastic but the whole we're not happy with the people that we've relied on to get us to the end of this thing is very much a feature of that so again this is history there's no spoilers Werner von Braun 
who helped kickstart the American space program, was a Nazi scientist who invented the V2 rocket. So that part of history that we became very uncomfortable with and sort of the investigations into how you per, how you spin you know somebody who was a member of the the, the national socialist party in, in in germany and worked for hitler into the hero of the hour who came up with the rockets that the united states needed a to get man to the moon and b a little bit of that whole v2 rocket thing would be quite handy for intercontinental ballistic missiles wouldn't it you know that that side of it has very much parallels with Oppenheimer through the Second World War and what they were doing with that, and who he relied on, actually, to get some of his physicists to work on during the Manhattan Project. So I, I, I think the two films are almost of a piece, really, and I, I would encourage you to go and watch the right stuff because it is a terrific retelling of that part of history, and you'll see the parallels. And I think even some of the shots and things like that that, that Nolan chose to make, you can you can sort of see contained within the seeds of that film, and it's good to be influenced by things like that. So just just a thought. No, I think that I think that's fair. But yeah, what a good film! What a good film! Great to see Nolan back, and I hope he makes many more films because he's got such a great portfolio. I loved it, and I want to I want to watch more. I, I I'm tempted to go and book another viewing of it in a much nicer cinema to go and see it again because whilst I've seen it I wouldn't mind to watch it again because I think there's bits you miss and I I do watch a lot of films more than once so I would be definitely up for going again Did you agree with my mumbly comment that until you sort of click into it the di- some of the dialogue is a little hard to follow? There was a little bit of that yeah at the start definitely I didn't again I, I wasn't sure if that was because I was in an old cinema but actually I then thought of your comment so I assumed that that, that, that was universal yeah, it must be. And I've seen an article about it since. I'm also going to throw out there that the BBC this week has released on iPlayer their, I think it's an eight-part, seven-part retelling of the Oppenheimer story as well. So that's free to your viewers in the UK. I think they're about 40, 50 minutes long each. It tells a slightly different story as I understand it. I haven't watched it, but I think it could be quite a good thing to have a look at just to sort of, sort of balance the history that Chris Nolan has, because he wrote the screenplay as well, balances out against what the BBC retelling is. So just if you're interested in the period and what went on and all the rest of it, I believe it's quite a good thing to go and watch. It won a BAFTA. Oh, right. Okay, well, that sounds good. Uh, it'd be good to see somebody else's interpretation, like you say, because then you, you, it's a lot easier to draw your own conclusions, I think. Yeah, but that's from the 80s, so I'm sure it'll be a slightly different feel than Christopher Nolan's film. But link in the show notes to the iPlayer page. Yeah, and just the other thing, back to the Oppenheimer film. What a cast. What a cast. There were people in there I did not expect to see. I'm going to sound the spoiler horn again. Beep. Gary Oldman playing the president. Fantastic. I did not realise he was in it. And he just suddenly appeared. And the guy from 10 Things I Hate About You, and I forget his name, he's obviously aged a lot more in the last 20 years. But he played an American scientist as well. And it was just amazing the amount of people in it. And Rami Merrick. I can't even know how you pronounce his name. Malik. Malik. Rami, Rami Malik. But he was in it. I love. It. I think he's a fantastic actor. So really good on ensemble cast as well to back it all up. So yeah, Ken Branagh, Tom Conti, you know, the, the, Matt Damon. Matt Damon, he was good. <laughs> yeah, Matt Damon's always good though, isn't he? He is. He, is, he yeah. You're, you're getting to me when you get him on board. I think because he is very consistent. But he played the character really well. And I went back and looked at some of the photos on the Wikipedia page. And was like, actually, they got his likeness. Fantastic. So no, great film. Would would no, recommend it, people watch it. I agree, but. For me, standout performance, other than Killian Murphy, because you can't give up Killian Murphy and applaud it, Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. And I didn't realise, because you see him at first in black and white, and I was like, who's that? And it was familiar. And then, I don't know, a couple of scenes later, I was like, oh, it's Robert Downey Jr. I knew he was in it, but it took me a moment just to twig. But they did a fantastic, fantastic way of 
of how they dressed him, how they did his makeup and his hair, but he also acted amazingly. It was really good. Yep. Hard to create. Great film. Go see it. Maybe check out the BBC documentary as well. And I would agree with you on the 9 out of 10. Good. Okay. Let's do some more traditional media stuff. You've linked to something called The Pigeon Tunnel. What's that? Yeah, just briefly, this is a new documentary coming out on Apple TV+, and it's about John Le Carre. I don't know if I pronounced his name right, the author of all the spy novels. Le Carre. Le Carre. And it just looked interesting to me. There's no trailer yet, but I've been reading some of his books more recently, so I'm interested to see where this goes. I read the book that was written, and I'm not going to get this word right, posthumously, after after he died. Posthumously. Posthumously. It's always what I struggle with. And, and it was fantastic. I read it on holiday. And I've since then just got his book, which is all about his letters. It's, it's, it's a really thick book. It's about 700 pages. I'm taking it on holiday next week. But it's all letters he used to send to and from people. And it was edited by his son. I just find him a very interesting person. So I'm, 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 I'm keen to see that. I've enjoyed some of his... I've not enjoyed everything he's written, but I've enjoyed, enjoyed quite a lot of them. So I'm keen to see where Apple go with that. Yeah, and you like your spy stuff, you know, slow horses and all that kind of stuff. And and Lacari, obviously, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I think he was the Ipcrest Files and things like that as well, or am I misremembering that? Is that um, Len Dayton? I'm not sure if he's Ipcrest, but obviously he did The Night Manager, which I really enjoyed. So, no, I'm just, just curious to see where it goes. I do like spy stuff. I can't explain why. But it's just, I guess, one of those things I grew up with, especially with, you know, obviously James Bond at one end and then, you know, various other things we've watched. But, um, no, I, I just was interested in doing it. And Apple do some good documentaries, to be fair to them. So I'm interested to see it. Killers of the Flower Moon. Whilst well sat in the cinema for Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon came on. This is a Martin Scorsese film done on Apple TV+. I think we've touched on it briefly, but the trailer looked fantastic, and I just put it in there for people to watch the trailer. Interesting app, we're going to release it in cinemas first, and then I guess it will come to the streaming platform. I don't know what the protocol is at the moment on things being in the cinema and then going to, to streaming platforms. So, like, what? Is that a month? Is that two months? Is that three months? Six months? So I'm curious to see how long it goes for. And also, will people go to the cinema for it? Yeah, well, I think Barbieheimer has proved that people can be pulled back into the cinema if, if the films are the right sort of thing. So uh, I, I, it's got every chance, hasn't it? Uh, uh, I mean, what a month for cinema, though. We've had Mission Impossible. We've had Oppenheimer. We've got the Barbie film. There's Indiana Jones, which I don't know whether I want to see it or not. But I, I said it. I reviewed it here. I really enjoyed Indiana Jones. I thought it was exactly what I wanted from an Indiana Jones film. Yeah, maybe maybe I need to go. So we've had four cracking films in about a five six week period. It, you know, can we can we keep this up so we can actually keep all our cinemas, please? Maybe I'm going to talk about a rubbish one though that didn't do well in the cinema and probably deservedly so. So what I didn't see it in the cinema, The Flash, the 2022 movie, I managed to grab and, and watch this week. I didn't pay the fullest of attention to it. The star of it is quite a, a troubled character. My children, I think I said at the time, refused to go and see it with me anyway because of the, the sort of allegations and things around him. Yeah, you, we've said it before. You've got to separate the art from the artist a lot of the time. I quite like a superhero movie. The Flash is a character I quite like from DC stuff back in the day. The real driver for me well, was they have Michael Keaton's Batman back in it, and I really liked the Tim, Bar- Tim Burton Batman films. And I thought, well, I'm going to give that a chance just because I really quite like Tim Burton. I think he was a good Batman. I think he really, he, as, as much as anyone, and Tim Burton were responsible for the current birth of where we've got to now with certainly the Marvel Cinematic Universe that, you know, you could get out there and do it. And then back to Chris Nolan, I think that was reinvented in the darker way that, that, that Batman is now, not the, sli- the slightly campy way that Keaton and Burton did it. But know reinvented by nolan and now we are where we are but you can chart a line straight back to the the tim burton batman movie so i thought i'd give it a chance 
I mean, it's not an awful film. It's not a 1 out of 10 film, but it's certainly not a very high score. 4 5. Keaton is terrific in it. He gets a couple of the old classic lines and things like that. It's very predictable. You see where it's going from the start. And i got to say, when you watch a film with good CGI, and then you watch The Flash, which only came out, you know, I guess it's a pandemic problem. Maybe some of the CGI is a bit ropey. But it does not. it's not a great looking... It's not good effects in that movie at all. And the... The benchmark today is so high, I think, for, for special effects because it's just come on so much, hasn't it? It's like when I mentioned Hijack the other week, some of the CG on that did look, it was a little bit iffy, felt like some of it was phoned in. So it's disappointing because The Flash is a great property and DC are a bit hit and miss, aren't they? They haven't got a yeah. fantastic bat in average, unlike Marvel. No, I mean, the, the Suicide Squad is probably their, one of their best films, really. And I would say, when you watch some of the TV, so if you think of things like Foundation on Apple TV, and I look at Strange New Worlds, the Star Trek show, the quality of the CGI on that for a TV show, Foundation particularly, absolutely knocks the flash into a cocked hat, frankly. It's not even on the same page. Considering the, the relative budget differences between a TV show and a large multi-million dollar movie as well, should be better but you know like i say if you want something to completely forget about in the background you can stick the flash on by all means and enjoy the michael keaton stuff but it's not as bad as something like uh, batman versus superman but it's not a million miles away from it Mm, it's not good is it it's not it's not the other thing i watched this week was there's a new futurama series it came out three weeks ago i think just while i was in canada i watched managed to watch the first episode of the new season. They did a very Futurama thing where the first one is featuring a, a streaming company called Fulu. It's been released on Hulu in America. They absolutely take the piss out of Hulu and streaming and who would cancel a show four or five times and who would bring it back and all this kind of stuff. They really sort of lean into their history as a show and how many times they've been cancelled and brought back. And it's great. It's like it's never been away. The humour is there, the characters are there, all the voices are in place. I thoroughly enjoyed the first episode of it. It was just as strong. And they, they go back to the ending and who, for anyone who hasn't got that far in Futurama, the last episode of Futurama, 10 years ago, was a really nice ending to the show featuring Fly, Fry and Leela, and I won't go into that in any more detail. But they pick right up where they left off, they go through this streaming stuff. Top job, well done. I I used to get, I watched Futurama because of you, but I have not seen it, I guess, in, in the middling sort of five seasons that have probably happened. So do I need to go back and watch those, or do I dive straight in on 11? To be fair, I'd forgotten. I think I, when the... When it was relaunched again, I, think, I can't even remember what network had it, Cartoon Network possibly. Th- those years in my head weren't great but actually i went back and watched the whole thing recently and it stays strong i mean nothing's as strong as the first few seasons but actually watching them one after the other take a bit of time the humor is just as good as it always was all the way through it and you know it, it really does reward that i wouldn't call it a binge but that kind of watch where you just give it time and you let it wash over you it's a great show it really is it's probably straight stayed stronger for me than the simpsons yeah, maybe, maybe I need to find some time for this. Now I've finished my Downton Abbey splurge. <laughs> maybe, maybe future armor will fill, fill that hole. I think so. Moving on, just two quick things. You've posted a story here about Disney Plus and Hulu ad-free going up in October. What, what's what, what's our thinking here? We're thinking Disney are doing a Netflix, is it? Yeah, they're putting their prices up. They're cracking down on VPNs. They're doing a uh, cheaper tier, but with adverts. So Disney started off quite cheap and is a no-brainer. It was like a five or a month or something. I thought, well, that's that's all right. But it seems to be getting a little bit more. They're slowly, you know, turning the taps. That was all. Yeah, that is an interesting one, isn't it? And and consequently, I think the quality is coming down as well. The 
current season's invasion, I can't remember what it's called, Secret Invasion with Sam Jackson and Olivia Coleman. I haven't been bothered to go back and watch it. A lot of the, the MCU TV stuff has been more missed than hit. And even the Star Wars stuff, like the last season, The Mandalorian, wasn't quite as strong as the first couple of seasons. So I think they need to be a little careful here. That, yes, it's a good property. There's lots of Pixar stuff on there. There's a lot of good content from that point of view. But the sort of real tentpole stuff, the quality's coming off it. And that, combined with a price increase, combined with the actors and, and screenwriter strike, could really leave them in a hole. Yeah, no, agreed. There are some good properties there, but... I guess Disney's got the problem of they could over-milk the properties and therefore the quality isn't always there. Yeah, and this story sort of feeds into the next one about there's a potential rumour that Apple could be thinking about buying Disney. What do you think of this? I can't see it. I think they're just far too big for Apple. I could maybe have seen it if Apple hadn't set their own TV piece, but they've done that now. It's going well. They are a bit more curated. I just think Disney would be too big a it's just too big a business, surely, for the two to come together. I think it's an interesting idea if it's just about the TV streaming. I don't think Apple would ever want a theme park. There's all the theme park, and you'd want to keep the Apple quality. It's going to take, you know what I mean? They're known for their quality, and suddenly if you start owning a brand that isn't that, I just, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think that's such a big deal, isn't it? What you want is the IP. You want the MCU IP. You want the Star Wars IP. That's what you want more than, you know, I think they could pick and choose a little bit what they want. Things like The Bear have, a, you know, really good sort of critical reviews. And you might want to spin the less successful stuff and sell it on another network. But I'm kind of with you. I think it's an interesting thing. And it is worth a read, actually, the article, because it does consider a lot of the sort of various interactions between Apple and Disney and where the strengths would be and where the weaknesses would be and how it, it, I don't feel it fits Apple's corporate culture, but then they've bought surprising things in the past. I remember them looking to buy a little ARM-based chip company not that long, you know, many, many years ago, and why are Apple getting into chips? And look where that ended up. So it's but, a very big acquisition for a company like Apple. They don't tend to do that. Yeah, but do you not think that's more Apple's MO, those buy the small company, integrate it in, swallow it whole in essence? Whereas I think buying Disney is just a complete other world and I just don't think anything good would come out of that. Fair enough. I think that's all we can really say in the story, but it is an interesting intellectual exercise to think about it. Agreed. And look, just finally, I was trying to buy Insomnia the other day. I can buy all of Christopher Nolan's movies, but not Insomnia. It seemed a bit weird to me in the UK. I was like, why is it not on iTunes? It just seemed bizarre to me. And I can't seem to watch it, which means I'm going to have to go and buy a DVD or a Blu-ray. I don't know. It's just been very strange that you can't get it digitally. Just Did you buy the PlayStation that you can play a disc in or the digital one? I might have bought the digital one. Well, too bad. Uh, we do have a rubbish Blu-ray player that somebody gave us, which we've barely used. But I just couldn't believe that you can get in somebody digitally. I've like, I don't know, I found that really frustrating because I can get literally everything else. And I've just mentioned we can get Christopher Nolan's film that, he's, that nobody knows around. But... You can't get one that he is quite famous for and has got an amazing cast in it. I just want to go back and rewatch it because it was great seeing Oppenheimer where he's done a film with really no CGI. It'd be nice to go and watch Insomnia, which I don't believe has really any CGI in it either. But yeah, I want to go watch it just for old time's sake. But I found it bizarre. I haven't seen it. You've never seen Insomnia? I've never seen it. Man, you've just been to Canada. You should definitely have watched it. Okay, I'll I'll check it out, although obviously not on streaming platform. No, you'll have to get the DVD on Amazon or something, or Blu-ray or something. But no, it's, it's set in Canada, it's got obviously Robin Williams in it, it's got Hilary Swank in it, it's got Al Pacino in it, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he appears in a few other 
of Nolan's films. He was in Tenant, for example, as a minor character, and he's very good. So I would, would recommend, I quite enjoyed the film. And like I say, it's nice to see something that isn't CGI-based. As much as I enjoy some CGI films, it's quite nice not to have a CGI film every now and again. <laughs> Fair enough. Should we move on? Yes. A very quick app of the week for me. I realised I should have referenced this a few weeks ago. I've mentioned it in passing when I've been installing things like VS Codium and Chromium and actually the Amethyst thing, the, the Windows tiling, the Mac tiling manager that I talked about. It's called Homebrew. What it is is a software update and installation package for the terminal on your Mac. You type brew install and you find a package that like Lookoff and it will download it and make use of it. It's super useful. What it does is a utility that makes lots of Linux, Unix, and other hard package things available just in your command line. The two I've mentioned, the obvious ones being Chromium, but I use things like Pandoc, which can use for on the command line converting one document format to another. So with one command, I can take a Word document and make a PDF out of it, but apply LaTeX formatting to it so it'll do my numbering properly within it and all that kind of stuff. You can run it in reverse, so you can take a PDF and turn it into Markdown, for example, if you want. But all of this is enabled through this app called Homebrew. So if you wanted, try and think of something random, something like Tesseract, which is an optical character recognition program that runs on PDFs. We get this quite well in Apple software now too. But if you wanted to automate, for example, documents that you'd scanned as part of your workflow, you can actually download this with Homebrew, set up a little Python package to do it, and actually run things through home, Homebrew. So it enables you to do a lot, manage your updates. It's actually all Ruby, the language underneath the surface that does all this kind of stuff, but does then allow you to install bigger GUI packages and keep them updated with brew update or brew upgrade all command, and it will just update all the stuff inside of one thing. So if you're particularly, there's a Linux package you're missing or a Unix package you're missing or something that's packaged on Git that you can't be bothered downloading and updating and keeping up to date yourself, Homebrew gives you the ability to do this. It's a really good thing. I thoroughly enjoy using it and I should have recommended it before. So link on how to install it there. It's slightly nerdy and geeky, but I am slightly nerdy and geeky, so I don't mind throwing out the odd tip like this. Yeah, this is always a world I don't know enough around, and I usually bow to your knowledge on. It's about, you're right, we should probably mention it earlier. Definitely. So that's my app of the week, Homebrew. Okay, my thing of the week isn't something I've actually got because you can't get it yet, but I've put linking to Lego have done a Lego version of Concord, which I thought looked kind of cool. And so I thought I'll share that with everybody because I'm thinking that would look quite neat hanging from the ceiling in my shed where I record this podcast from. So I've got my eye on Concord. But I just thought they've done a really nice job of it. It looks a great model for anybody that likes a bit of Lego out there. Sounds very good to me. I think we can call that a show. I think we're done. Thanks, Rod. And uh, if anybody wants to get in contact, you can catch Rod at g5maniac at mastodon.scot. I'm at underscore cjp at mastodon.social. Or you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Mm-hmm.